Welcome to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more- are you sure? All right, let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. Thank you because I'm anointed to teach and your people are anointed to receive. I pray that light and understanding will come forth in and through your word. Signs, wonders, and miracles will take place at the teaching of your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. All right. So, as we start this series, um, I've also asked our teens church to join us because I think it's important doctrinally for them to be found. As we start this series, uh, this series, I want to beg you for three things. Number one, forget about any film you've watched about the Antichrist. Number two, forget about everything you've ever heard about the Antichrist. Number three, allow the Bible to talk. Don't do the talking while I'm teaching. Just allow the Bible to talk. All right. So let's approach let's approach this subject with an open heart. I want to beg you. Approach it with an open heart, approach it with an open mind, allow the scriptures to speak, and if what I'm saying is contradictory to scriptures straight away, if it's in line with scriptures, just follow it. So I'm not going to rush the series, I know this is not a typical Sunday message, I'm not going to rush the series, I'm going to take it gradually, okay, Uh, I think we have four parts to it. So first of all, the title is Biblical Truths About the Antichrist, Biblical Truths About the Antichrist, okay? Biblical truth about the Antichrist. Starting with this. Dealing with assumptions. So let's deal with assumptions that we have about the Antichrist. First of all, the term Antichrist was never used by Jesus. The term, the Antichrist, was never used by Jesus. Number two, the Apostle Paul never uses the word Antichrist. Now, what you find, now let me backtrack a bit. There's something in, this, in, in, in theology or in Bible teaching that we call eschatology. So eschatology is the, what you call the teaching of the last days, the word eschatos. Uh, eschatos is the last day. So eschatology is the study of the last days. Now, there are many things people put together under eschatology. And they try to mop up everything together. Okay? So they talk about the Mac of the Beast, 666. They talk about the Great Tribulation. They talk about all of those things and they try to mop it up together. And because of that, people interchange terms. And because they inter- interchange terms, it brings a bit of confusion. What Jesus talked about is, the, uh, Jesus uses the word false Christ, false uh, Messiah. The Greek word false there is pseudo, it's, it's like the word pseudo uh, or false. Okay, so Jesus talked about false Christ. Paul talks about the man of sin or the man of lawlessness. That's what Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians. And we're going re- we're to study all of that. But understand that when it, when it comes to the, the whole subject of Antichrist, the way the church has taught it up until now is the fact that emerge the, the, the false Messiah Jesus talks about, the man of sin, and then the Antichrist in the book of 1 John all together as one person. And that is modeling of the waters. So Jesus talked about the false Messiah, pseudo-Christ, and false prophets, while Apostle Paul talks about the man of sin or the man of lawlessness. 
surprisingly enough, the word Antichrist is not found in the book of Revelation. The word Antichrist is not found in the book of Revelation. Now, interestingly, I know many believers don't like reading the book of Revelation because of the beast. It's called Ndabai in our language. When you read about the beast with seven horns. But interestingly, the book of Revelation is not about the revelation of the Antichrist. Never is, never will be. Revelation chapter 1 verse 1. Let's read. Revelation chapter 1 verse 1. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of who? Is that how the scripture starts? Come on now, church. You need to follow me. Is that how the Bible starts it? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Who, which God gave him to show his bond servant the things which must soon take place. And he said, I communicated it by his angel to, the, to his bond servant, John. So it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Perfect. Now, the only place where the word Antichrist is used in the Bible is used by only one disciple, John. And it's used only five times in the scripture. Five times in the scripture, the word Antichrist is used five times in the scripture, and you can only find it in the epistles of John. First John, second John, first John, and second John. Now, interestingly, John wrote the book of Revelation. And so, if the Antichrist was all it is in the book of Revelation, John would have inferred to it. Now, let me just say this here to help you understand it. A lot of teachings, and I say a lot, 90% of the teachings about the Antichrist are inferred teachings where people read their mind into the Bible, not what the Bible says. And I'll show you. So just follow me. So if the Antichrist was uh, the main theme in the book of Revelation, John would have also inferred to it, but John didn't. Because it's not. So, the only place you find the phrase Antichrist is in the book of John, 1 John, 2 John. And it's, it's, it's used five times. Now, if you would forget what the Bible actually says and listen to religious world today, you will get the impression that, number one, that the Antichrist is a subject and a person, singular person, reserved exclusively for a future prophecy. Now, I made my notes very detailed because I don't want to miss anything. It's a theological study, so I don't want to miss anything. So, in case I read, uh, just, I just want to be very detailed about it. Alright? So, when you look at what you hear, you would feel that the Antichrist is a subject or a singular person reserved exclusively for a future prophecy. The first major challenge to that idea is that the Bible declares that there is not just one Antichrist. You cannot find it in the scriptures where the Antichrist is referred to as a person. I'm going to show you all the scriptures, so just breathe in, breathe out, and follow. The Amplified Version uses the singular phrase in, in 1 John chapter 2 about the Antichrist. It uses the definite article the, but that's a mistranslation. If you read all the translations of the Bible, you will not find the definite article there, and we're going to read it. There is nowhere, the Bible is before you, there is nowhere where the Antichrist is referred to as a singular person. Nowhere. You would find the 
Antichrist refers to singular in the Amplified Version, but that's because the Amplified Version wants to amplify it and try to give it a meaning. But if you read any Greek translation, word-for-word translation like the NRV, or word-for-word translation like the NASB, or thought-for-thought translation like the NIV, you will not find a definite article in front of the Antichrist. Okay? Now, John said there were many that were ready in the world. Well, let me, let me just read that first. Let's go to First John. Let's just read that so that that can help our mind just embrace First John, chapter two, verse verse eighteen. First John two eighteen. So let's start from there. Okay. So remember, it's a four part study. So we, we've got to. So you need to make sure you come every of the service day, children. It is the last hour. And we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this phrase, the last day, the last hour. And we're going to see how it's used in scripture. Because this is something that gives uh, sometimes a wrong interpretation to the scripture. Because people are always thinking of the last day as a day that is to come. But, we'll come back here, so just follow. But do you realize uh, the, the... between AD 59, AD is after death, after Jesus had died. Between AD 59 to AD 70, there's no definite day, but just put in that time frame. That's when Paul wrote 1 John. And he says, as of AD, let's say 60, as of AD 60, that it was the last hour. As of AD 60, he said it was the last day. So when is the last day? You know, and you know, sometimes you hear preachers say, we are in the last, of oh, the last, the... <laughs> Relax. First time the word last day was used is Genesis chapter 49. Jacob told his sons, gather on to me and I will tell you what will be for you in the last days. So what is the last day? Because many people stand on the pulpit to preach what they have heard, not what they have studied. Because John said in AD 70, AD 60, it's the last day, it's the last hour. And just as you heard. So it wasn't a new thing, pay attention, it wasn't a new thing John was trying to teach the church. Just as you heard that Antichrist is coming. He didn't say the Antichrist. Did not use the word the Antichrist. Remember, the Bible is written in three languages. It was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Aramaic is close to Hebrew language. The Hebrew language is for the Old Testament, okay? Um, Old Testament in this context will be Genesis to Malachi. Matthew, which, is new, which starts, you know, that. Matthew to Revelation was written in Greek. Now, because this was translated, the way the Greek language is written, because this was translated, uh, definite articles can alter the meaning of a sentence. So, there is no definite article in the front of the Antichrist. And that is the way it is. Like I said, if you read the Amplified Version, you would find definite article, but it's not supposed to be there. Children, it's the last hour, and just as you heard... So, even though he was talking to them in AD 60, 65, thereabouts, where he wrote the book of John, wrote the letter, where John wrote the letter, he, he was already telling them that they have heard about the Antichrist before, as of then. Uh, will I be correct to say that? Smile, Jesus loves you. Will I be correct to say that? Because he says, as you have heard. So, they were not hearing it for the first time. 
Right? Now, do you realize that John was a disciple that was closest to Jesus? Okay? So, obviously, he should have a bit more light where the subject is concerned. Do we agree with that? It is the last hour, and just as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Come on. Even now. Even when? When is now? All of you go home. <laughs> when is now? Now would be when John wrote it. Would now be when John wrote it? Would now be when John wrote that later? So John says, you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Then he says, even now. What does he say next? How many? What will many mean? Many. Multitude of Antichrist. Many anti... No, not Christ. Many what? Antichrist. Plural. Oh. That tells us something. Because if there was a definite article in front of the Antichrist, he wouldn't have said Antichrists. Wipe your brain. If he said the Antichrist is coming, John wouldn't have written many Antichrists. Because if you put the, you cannot use many any longer. Because a definite article, I'm not an English teacher, but I went to school. If you put D, you cannot use many immediately. Am I right? If I say, the boy is coming, many boys came. It's not correct, right? Right. Right. Okay. As you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have appeared. Would coming and appear typify the same thing? Yes. In worry pidgin English, we can say guy appear. What that actually means is guy come. <laughs> That's worry Greek. Right? The word appear is the Greek word apocalypsis. Appearing apocalypsis in the Greek doesn't mean appear like coming in that sense. It means unveiling. Right? It means unveiling. Uh, where is where is that cloth you throw on people when I pray for them? Quickly, give me give me that cloth. Let me sh- let me show you something. If we can get it quickly, or a handkerchief, anything just that can cover. But 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 then I want you to know that word appear. It's very important because if you don't if you don't have the concept of that word appear, you will misunderstand the subject. Run. Okay. So, this is, a, this is a dark cloth, right? This is a dark cloth. Alright. For those online, this is not where the power is. Because I'm going to cover the pulpit. So, this, <laughs> that pastor brought dark cloth to the pulpit. So, this is a black cloth, right? This is the concept of, of appearing. This is the concept of apocalypsis. This is what it means in the Greek. Now, you can't see my Bible. You can't see this, this, this pulpit, as it were. Pretend you can't see it. Alright, so when I use the word apocalypsis, or I use the word appear, apocalypsis in the Greek, it actually means to unveil, to remove. That's the concept. So the concept of coming and appearing is not somebody coming. 
It's the concept of something that is hidden. Right? Right? Now, can you see this pulpit? No, you can't see it, right? You can't see the white pulpit, right? Okay. Now, when I open it, can you not see it? Now, pay attention. Did this pulpit move position? But it has appeared. So, appearance in scripture doesn't always mean to come. Appearance most times means it's been revealed. Now, if it's been revealed, it means it has been there. Are, are you following this now? Okay. Tony, come and take your property. Alright? So, he says, even now, many antichrists have appeared. So, when he says many antichrists have appeared, Apocalypses, it means that many antichrists have been unveiled or have been revealed. So, the first thing I want you to understand is change your mindset about the concept of the word appearance. Hmm? Right? Okay. From this, we know that it is the last hour. So he says, the appearance of these many antichrists signify to us that it is the last hour. Okay. Now, the antichrist, um, okay, I've read that before. If you had to forget what the Bible actually says and listen to the religious word today, you get the impression, just as I heard, that the antichrist is a subject and a person singularly reserved exclusively for a future prophecy. The first major challenge to that idea is that the Bible declares that there is not just one antichrist. Instead, there were many that were already in the world when John wrote the scriptures. The scriptures to the Christians. So, do we agree that as of when John wrote, there were many antichrists? Do we agree with the Bible? It's clear. It's very clear. It's, it's non debatable. It's very clear. Now, the challenge is this when you hear certain things about the Antichrist, when you are coming to read this verse, you're not paying attention to the verse. What you have heard already blocks your mind. So, you are not just seeing many, and in the last, the Antichrist, hey, Antichrist is coming. You don't just read. This one verse just throws that away that the Antichrist is not a singular person. Just throws it away. Just throws it away. This is the word many. This is the word Antichrist. And it says it was already existence in the world. All right. Now, Antichrist are not associated with the end times. Most discussion about the Antichrist these days surround, um, surround the topic of the end times. You know, people bring up prophecies in both the Old and New Testament to identify both the Antichrist and the end times. And I'm going to deal with some of the scriptures. So, the Antichrist existed in the first century. Alright? As noted above, John declared at the end of the first century AD that many Antichrists have appeared. So, Antichrists, plural, have existed for nearly 2,000 years. Remember, the first John and second John are the only books of the Bible that mention the subject of the Antichrist. Now, I, I want you, please, you know, just pardon me, but just follow this, right? Because I feel like this is something that I'm graced to do in the body of Christ. You, you've got to be careful of the use of words in the Bible. There are words, words in the Bible and words we use in church. There is a lot of inference by preachers and inference by students of the Bible which actually, uh, they should be a bit more patient for the Bible to speak for itself. I'll give you a, a very common word. For example, the word rapture is not found in the Bible. You can never find it. R-O-A-P-T-U-E-R. You never find it. From Genesis to Revelation, you never find it. What you find is the word cut up. 
And now we'll deal with that. We'll deal with what cut-off means. Allowing the Bible to speak for itself. But you will never find it. But then people will infer and say, well, the first rapture was Enoch. Bible didn't say that. It didn't say, just read it. The way it, it's English. Read it. It didn't say that. Right? And let me just throw something there to just stretch your brain this way, then we come back. You know, people say the coming of the Son of Man shall be like the days of Noah. How many of you have read that? Have you read that? Have you read that? Have you read that? Okay. So, the rapture is taking away of the saints. But the coming of the Lord will be like the day of Noah. And we put those two events together. Am I right? We put it together. <laughs> it's not trick questions. Am I right? Okay, in the days of Noah, simple question, who was taken? It's simple. Who, who was taken? The sinners. Who was left? The righteous. Put that against the rapture's teaching. That two verse. I know you never thought about it. Okay. Do, do you understand that? It's clear now. <laughs> you, you see, so you see the challenge is... We read our mind into a particular verse of scripture without just being patient enough for the scripture to take. So even our examples don't align. Our examples don't align. So I want to beg you, because I'm going to start teaching some of these things as we progress as a ministry. I want to beg you to allow the scriptures speak. Just be patient. Don't be in a hurry. We'll take our time to teach these things gradually. But I'm saying all of that to tell you that I want you to go back and study the word again and read the Bible again. Okay, so let's come back to the Antichrist. Use Bible terms in Bible ways. Please write this down. Bold. Use Bible terms in what? In Bible ways. When people discuss the subject of the Antichrist today... They bring up parts of the book of Daniel, of Matthew, Revelation. And in Daniel and Matthew, they point to what you call the abomination of desolation. How many of you have heard that phrase? Right? It sounds very big. There's nothing there. It's simple. So we'll deal with all of this separately, not in this study. But they point to the abomination of desolation, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, and Matthew 24, verse 15. Now it's interesting. It's interesting. But let's not go there to pull us away from our subject. <clears throat> right? Then, in Revelation, they point to the beast, featured throughout the book. It is fair that the beast is the Antichrist, and he may be on the earth now. The hype is to scrutinize celebrities, political figures, famous religious leaders, and anyone in the world's limelight. If we can simply identify the Antichrist in Revelation, we can understand the end times better. But as noted already, the books of Daniel, Matthew, and Revelation never use the word Antichrist. So anyone who says these figures represent the Antichrist... We're not clearly using Bible terms the way the Bible uses it. Instead, they're reading their, into the Bible and teaching out of speculation and superstition. Moreover, John authored 1 John and 2 John and Revelation. If the beast of Revelation were the Antichrist, we would expect John to explicitly tell us since he is the author of the three books. Let's look at the, the, the use of the word last day or last hour. The first time this word was used was in Genesis 49 and verse 1. I told you, Genesis 49 verse 1. It's the law first mentioned. The first time it was used. Ensure that your phone is put off. 
Genesis 49.1 Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will be for you in the days to come. Now some translation uses the word the last day. Now please, so as not to be misunderstood because I realize sometimes people listen to you to hear what they want to say. Uh, I haven't said there is no rapture. I haven't said there is none of those things. Okay? I've just given you scripture to go look at. Because, uh, you know, people can just quote someone out of context. Now, in, in, in the New Testament, how was the word last days used? So, in 1 John 2.18, it says, For now we know that we are in the last days. 1 John 2.18. We know, from this, we know that it is the last hour. Or the last day. Now go to uh, Acts two fourteen. Acts two fourteen. Acts chapter two and verse fourteen. Acts two fourteen. But Peter, remember, this was the opening cause. Then, but Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, "Men of Judah." And all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. Verse 15. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. Verse 16. But this is what was spoken of the prophet Joel. 17. And it shall be in the last days, God says. So, Peter takes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit... And says that was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. And that that prophecy signified that in the last day there will be the outpouring of the Spirit. Now the first thing I want you to understand is that it means that when the Holy Ghost was poured out in the book of Acts, they were already in the last days. Will I be right to say that? Hey church, will I be right to say that? Because Peter said that. Peter said the outpouring of the Holy Spirit signified the last days. So, what I'm trying to say is that for us today, the last day shouldn't be seen as something we haven't gone into or we, we, that's still futuristic. Because the last day started all the way back over 2,000 years ago. Okay? Now, let me show you Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 to 2. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 to 2. <clears throat> Praise God. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, and in many portions and in many ways, look at verse 2. In these last days, has spoken to us in his son. So, the writer of Hebrews acknowledged the fact that it was at the last days. And Hebrews was written, let me see the year. Hebrews were written in AD 68 to about AD 95. So you realize that even as of then, they already acknowledged that they were in the last days. Praise God. They already acknowledged it. So it's not something, let me tell you something, let me just tell you something. Any truth you hear from the Bible that is accurately taught will not produce fear in your heart. If you are still afraid of the Antichrist, it's, you see the scripture says that God has not given us the spirit of fear. If you hear any truth, it makes you afraid. Whether 
it's heaven, antichrist, beast, sixes, whatever, and you are still scared, you didn't hear the gospel. The, the true gospel will never produce fear. I don't care who teaches it. It will never produce fear. Are you, are you still here? Alright. So we've seen that the last days, as used by scripture, actually, way back, they were already in the last days. Now, Please just follow me because some of these things will just be very academic. In all of the epistles, only John writes about the Antichrist. Now, it's important to now find out why did John write about the Antichrist? What's the background to the writing of John? The New Testament letters are different from these narrative accounts of the life of Jesus because each letter addressed pressing issues of the moment. So pay attention. The new, I've explained it to you in this church before that the New Testament is not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I think I've explained it. Because the New Testament cannot start until the testator died. So the New Testament starts from when Jesus died. So the New Testament actually starts from the book of Acts. So the Matthew, 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 Mark, Luke, and John, I know in your Bible there's a white page that says beginning of the New Testament. You, a testament is a covenant. The new covenant doesn't start until there's a death of the testator. Hebrew says that. So when Jesus died, the new testament started. The outpouring of the Spirit. So, uh, look at this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are what you call narrative accounts. Narrative accounts of the life of Jesus. So, this is what happened. I travel to Ghana on missions. And I take my five disciples with me. Where were we five or four? Four disciples. Okay, we didn't have Judas. So, I took four disciples with me, alright? So, now, out of my four disciples, Precious went with me, Jumai went with me, Harry went with me, uh, Edger, Roland went with me. Now, out of my four disciples, two decided they were not going to write anything. So, Jumai didn't write anything, Precious didn't write anything. And then, Roland and Harry wrote so, Roland gave an account. Do you realize that both of them gave an account of the trip? It was the same trip, but both of them gave slightly different. Now, you see one common theme among them. I think the only thing that was common among them was partnership. Because we all went by road, spent 14 hours, 30 minutes on the road. So, coming back through partnership and through giving, we got tickets to come back. That's why they say, you partner. Because they knew that that partnership saved them. And that flight was one hour, right? So that partnership saved them 14 hours on the road. So that's why you see that, that it was the one that touched them that was common. For, so that's the same thing. So when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, see it from that perspective. All of them walked with Jesus and all of them narrated the experience with Jesus. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John called the Gospels are called narratives, Right? The book of Acts, written by Luke, Dr. Luke, was a capture of the developmental stage of the church. So, it's a bit of narrative. Now, pay attention. Everything in the book of, Luke, uh, book of Acts is not prescriptive. Some are descriptive. Follow me. A narrative usually will be descriptive. Will describe something. So, in the book of Acts, you see certain things are prescribed for us. Certain things are just described. Okay? For instance, the fact that everybody brought their things together and they had one pause is not prescription. It is description. 
So we cannot now take that and say, all of you bring your salary, less of some people will not just work. Do you understand that? So because, again, prescription would be what Paul said in First Thessalonians, he that does not work should not eat. So you know, some people say, let's return to the book of Acts. Mm-mm, we are not returning. Because they were just describing a church in its developmental stages. Are we good? All right. Why did I say all of those drama? It is because when you read the epistles, they were not narratives. The epistles were letters written to address issues that were currently going on. So, when John writes about the Antichrist, he is writing about something that was already in existence as of then. Warning the church about it. So, that gives us a bit of perspective why it was written. And, and, and I'll deal with that. So, go on. He says, when you look at how the scriptures were written, the, the whole framework of the scriptures, there are three time periods. First of all, Jesus' lifetime during which no New Testament books were written. So it was after the death of Jesus that the account was written. That's one lifetime. Number two, there was a period of great expansion of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. That was between AD 33 to AD 60. That was when uh, um, one of the greatest persecutions against the Christian faith took place by Nero, by the Roman Empire, uh, Emperor Nero. So, uh, that was when the persecution, the scattering and everything happened. The expansion of the gospel. You can get that in First Peter. You can get that in the book of Acts. So, AD 33 to 60. Now, between AD 60 and AD 100, something began to happen. There was, it was a period of doctrinal clarification. It was a period of doctrinal clarification. Now, follow me. When Jesus came, there was a narrative account of Jesus written by the apostles. Some apostles didn't write anything. Bartholomew, uh, Thomas, they didn't write anything. Some wrote, just like I give an example with my trip. Then they moved into the expansion, and the, the expansion and the persecution of the church. Then, after this period, they moved to where there was a lot of doctrinal confusion and doctrinal clarification. So, John's later, and then there was the contexting of the leadership of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, let me say this here very quickly. Number one, Jesus did not have only 12 disciples. Jesus had 12 disciples whom he called apostles, but Jesus had more disciples. Did you understand that? Twelve were named apostles. So there are twelve foundational apostles of the Lamb. Nobody can be an apostle in that category. But Jesus had 70 disciples. In the, in the upper room, 120 gathered. Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus. Are, are you following that? So Jesus had other disciples that were not apostles. The apostles were the ones traveling with him. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 to 3, you find it there. And they had partners supporting their traveling ministry. Now, the reason I said that is to say this. Uh, when that doctrinal issue began to come up in church history, people began to contest the leadership of the 12 apostles. So certain things were written to correct that error. Now, if you go to the book of Acts, um, chapter 1. Go to Acts chapter 1. Let me show you, show you something there. Acts chapter 1 and verse... Um, Acts chapter 1, verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 21, please. please just follow me. Show, show, show you something here. Acts one twenty one. Are you there? All right. Therefore, remember, Judas lost his place through transgression. So, Jesus. Acts one twenty one. 
Therefore, it is necessary that of the men. So, they wanted to replace Judas. Look at the qualification they gave. They said, therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time. Did you see that? Hey, did you see that? Now, some translation says, the men who had traveled with us all the time. That means, uh, there were people who traveled with Jesus that were not called apostles. Did you see that? Okay, so, the reason I'm trying to say is why John wrote some of those things. So they were contesting their leadership. Alright, so that's why I give it a verse. Now, the gospel and letters of John were written within this last period. When the church at large faced huge issues such as organized persecution uh, of Christians by the Roman government, heresy infiltrating the church, especially from various Greek philosophers, and a crisis of church leadership, especially as the apostles died. Now, John's letters reflect the second and third issues. Heresy and a crisis of leadership and the emergence of false teachers. And the belief challenging apostolic leadership. So you would realize that that's why John wrote. Now, why is the letter of John important? Just follow. I'll give you a lot of background. It will just make you easy to understand the subject. Because it's because we don't take time to study this background that we miss it. In the book of John, John uses a literature style called parallelism. What parallelism is, is, as it were, written in Bible literature, is when you always compare and contrast two things. You're putting two things together. So when you read the letters of John, or First John, you would see John comparing Christ, Antichrist. Light, darkness. Truth, falsehood. Righteousness, sin. Love of the Father, love of the world. Spirit of God, spirit of the Antichrist. If you, if you study 1st John, 2nd John, you would, if you read the whole letter, go back today, it will take you maybe like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, finish it if you're a fast reader. If you go to the whole book of John, you would see that John's attempt was parallelism in comparing two contrasting things. Christ, Antichrist. Spirit of God, Spirit of the Antichrist. Righteousness, sin, truth, falsehood. So that's the way John wrote. That's the, that's the framework in which John is communicating. So it, it never tells us that what John was doing with writing about the Antichrist was actually a comparison and helping the church to be able to discern the Antichrist. That's the, that's the motive. That's the background which John wrote. Okay. So, in the writings of John, John focused on three issues. The zeal of the believers, standing firm against false teachers, and reassuring Christians that they have eternal life. Now, please follow. When John was alive, there were three doctrines that were plaguing the church. Number one, there's what you call docetism. Now, docetism was a group of Greek philosophers who taught that Jesus' humanity was not real. Please, if you forget everything I've said, don't forget this. Because this gives us, let me just go to the end of the message so that you come back. This gives us the definition of the Antichrist and who the Antichrist's spirit is and what they say. Because John says they deny that Jesus had come in the flesh. We'll read that. So pay three attentions to pay attention. Pay attention to these three things. Number one, this group of Greek philosophers deny that the humanity of Jesus was, was, was not real. So, so, so they say, Jesus wasn't really human. 
And people began to believe it. Number two, there were another group of people called the Gnostics. The Gnostics emphasized philosophical knowledge of salvation, but their primary teaching was life in the flesh is inherently sinful, and life in the spirit is the only way to be completely holy. Therefore, it was impossible that Jesus actually came to the earth in the flesh. Now, the Gnostic taught that matter was evil. Flesh was evil. Nothing good can ever come out of your human body. So, so those people say, well, if, if this body is inherently sinful, then the Son of God couldn't have come on this body. Now, do you, do you realize something? That all of these three doctrines are dealing with the issue of the humanity of Jesus. Are you still here or you're going home? Okay. You can find somewhere to say, I receive. Alright? Now, now, pay attention to this. Pay attention to this. Pay attention to this. The third doctrine is was, was taught by the people called the Serentians. They were philosophers which claimed Jesus was merely man and not God. So John was contending with three things. First of all, two set of doctrines that taught that, hey, Jesus was God and not human. He had nothing. The human nature was sinful, especially the Gnostic. They were very big. Then, the third set of doctrine over here said, you know what? <laughs> you know, it can be funny how we get into extremes. This guy said, you know what? Jesus was merely human and he's not God. Now, there's a problem with that. Now, these teachings infiltrated into the church. And you know what? If you touch the humanity and the divinity of God and you don't put it in a balanced perspective, then the atonement and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross becomes questionable. Because if you say Jesus is God and is not human, then how did he atone for us? Then if you say Jesus is human and is not God, then how is his blood sinless? Are you here or you have traveled? Okay. So, having understood this, you know, like the Bible say, with these few points of mine, I hope I've been able to come. All right. Having understood this, you would see why John starts the book of John the way he started it. It will not make meaning to you. John chapter first, John chapter one, verse one. First of all, 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 go to John chapter one, verse one. See how John starts John one one. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness cannot uh, comprehend it. Praise God. All right. Now, go to, go to verse 11. He came to his own, and remember, you see how John introduced, introduces Jesus. You, you all observe also that John is not writing uh, Jacob begat Ruth, Ruth begat Jumbo, Jumbo begat Haliman begat and begat Jesus. He, he didn't do that. He goes into, he, he tries to first of all start talking about the, the oneness of God and Jesus and Jesus coming in the flesh. So it, it sets the tone for how John writes. Because John was contending with something very powerful. Then he goes to John chapter 1 verse 11. says, he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received to them, he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, not of the will of flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. Go to First John chapter 1. And see the tone with which he starts First John chapter 1 again. Don't forget these three contrary doctrines. Please remember them. Even if you don't remember 
the, the name of the doctrines. Just remember what they were emphasizing. To emphasize you know, of the, the spirituality, of the, the, the divinity of Jesus and not his humanity. The third one emphasizes his humanity and not his divinity. The Christian faith is that Jesus is both God and man. So understand, understand that's what John was addressing with this letter. John was not addressing Hitler. It wasn't Pope. It wasn't Donald Trump. Okay. First John 1 John 1.1. Now pay attention. It says, First John 1 John 1.1. See how John starts writing this. It says, First uh, John chapter 1 verse 1. What was from the beginning? Remember John chapter 1. How he started in the beginning, right? What we have heard. What we have seen with what? Eyes. What we have looked at and touched with our hands. Do you know why John had to start this like this? Because John was saying, listen, the Jesus we are writing to you about was someone we saw, we heard, we touched, we fellowshiped with. That's why he started this, this letter like this. So this gives meaning to why first John started like this. Because John was writing to refute doctrines that were prevailing. So he wasn't just, he wasn't just trying to lay claims on Jesus. But rather he was saying, you know, you know, this word from the beginning that we write to you about, we heard him, we touched him, we saw him. So our account of him would be more accurate than the Greek philosophers. Are you following this? And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested, remember the word I told you, the word manifest, coming, apocalypsis, was revealed to us. Pay attention to that phrase. The, the eternal life, which was with the Father, which means was with God, and was manifested to us. So, so you can see uh, the, the deliberate use of language by John. In talking about Jesus... Talks about his eternal dimension and his earthly dimension. So you can also pursue the argument of John when John starts saying that you cannot say that you are fellowship with God if you cannot fellowship with your brother. Because the revelation of God in human form today would be the fact that he resides in your brother. I, I, are you following this now? Okay. So let's go on. So he says. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testified and proclaimed, verse 2, the eternal life was with the Father was manifested was Verse 3, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. 
And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So, do you see what John is driving at? John is driving out the fact that, listen, what we're telling you is not fables. We've seen this man. we fellowship with this man. He was with the Father. He was manifested to us. We are also sharing this with you because when you get born again, then we all, Father, Son, and our brothers, we share fellowship. So, this is where John is building from. This is where John is building from. Alright, so, let, let me just pause there and give you, what are past people, past doctrines people have referred to the Antichrist, okay? So some people have said, uh, President Obama was the Antichrist. Some said Donald Trump was the Antichrist. And then people go about calculating all these numbers. You know, Obama, O is 2, A is 1, B is this. If you add 2 plus 2, plus 6. God never sent you to solve mathematics. Straight away that trash. Any sharp mathematician can make any number, you know, make, add up anything. Listen, listen. God never sent you to calculate mathematics. If you would spend that time studying the scripture, you would not solve maths. And I tell you, everybody who has been pointed to as the Antichrist has been false. Because they're not correct. <laughs> and that's the truth. Um, in, in, in AD 600, Gregory I and Joachim of Flores held the view that the Antichrist was a man called Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, Antiochus Epiphanes was one of the persons who led very massive persecution against the church. That's in 175 BC. Okay? They said that was the Antichrist. Christotom, one of the church fathers, pinned him down to Nero. Pinned it down to Nero. Uh, John Wycliffe, English reformer, uh, Martin Luther, and some of the earlier church fathers, the Protestant Reformation fathers, declared that it was the Pope. In fact, he said the Pope is the true end times Antichrist who had raised himself up and set himself against Christ. So the Pope and the papacy, the Roman Catholic Church, were termed as the Antichrist. Because there was a time where the Roman Catholic Church persecuted Christians big time. Especially after the Luther Reformation, where people could not have access to the scriptures. So you see that even from early church fathers, they have been missing it because they haven't really, really dug down well deep into the scriptures. And because once somebody is evil, once we perceive somebody as wicked and evil, then what do we quickly do? We call them the Antichrist. Okay. Are we, are we good up to, to that point? Is it, are you following? Alright. So let's look at the basic meaning of the word. The etymology of the word. Or the root, the root word antichrist. The root word antichrist. What's, what's the root word antichrist? And then we'll, we'll build up from that. Okay. What's the root word antichrist? Now, the word anti, A-N-T-I, in the Greek means two things. First of all, in English, it's to oppose, right? Anti, against something, like an action, a political party, or a government. The word can mean against or opposite. Alright? So, although the language has changed a bit now, because language sometimes progresses, but in, uh, in medicine, the word anti could mean counter-reacting or effective against. Active bacteria, active viral, but now new, new medical words have come up which might not necessarily mean that, like antibodies and all that. Now, in the Greek, 
It's used two things. It's used in two ways. Pay very close attention. It's used as anti, against, or secondly, it is used in the place of. Go to Matthew 2.22. Let me explain this one to you. Matthew 2.22. Matthew 2.22. Matthew 2.22. Matthew 2.22. Now, uh, but when he heard the, that Achilles was reigning over Judah, that word there, in place, is anti in the Greek. In place of his father Herod. So the word anti, anti sorry, not anti-Christ. The word anti in the Greek can be used for someone against. Um, where is, where is Edja? Edja, come quickly. Who is there again? Um, come. You come. Yes, come. Quick, quick, quick. So, these are the two uses of the Greek word, okay? Uh, first, first of all, push up against him. No, don't push him down. Just push up against him. Okay? That's anti. Opposing. Against. Right? That's one word. Now, the second use of the word anti, I could say, okay, fine. Uh, Boma, right? Replace, uh, replace Eja. So, Eja, you step down. You come here. Okay? This same process can be used as anti. So, anti is not just so. <laughs> like, I feel like saying uncle. Go and sit down. Anti is not so much just as opposing, but also what? In place of. Please pay close attention. Because when you're having this conversation with people, you should be able to engage them. I don't want you to go and say, My pastor said. If you, if you have not understood it, listen to it again till you. You can confidently say this is what the Bible. Don't quote me. I'm quoting the Bible. I'm not quoting me. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, right? So when you go to this verse of scripture, it says, "But when he heard that Achilles was reigning over Judah in place of his father," so we could say that the word "anti" speaks of opposing against and also in place of. All this foundation I'm giving you is actually the message. If you understand this and you go back on your own and read what John wrote about the Antichrist, you will be able to just say who the Antichrist is. It will just be easy. Because this is where probably the church misses it. And the reason I don't blame, well, I don't know, but I don't blame a lot of the church because not a lot of churches would have the patience to want to go through it. You know, many people feel this is for Bible school. How many of you feel like that? They're like, Pastor, we just want to come and receive eh, double-double. That's the problem. If we focus on double double, you won't know the Bible. That, that, you know, I was studying yesterday and I taught myself. I said, I was thinking, I was like, ah, this thing, maybe I should teach it in school of doctrine. But I just told myself again, that's the thing we keep saying. This thing is for Bible school. This is for Bible school that makes it a breed ignorant Christians. You know, my page is over 3,500 words. The notes I've studied on this. All right? Just on this. And I was feeling like, you know what? This should be Bible school material. But if you, if we keep taking these things to Bible school, see, Bible school should never replace the church. Every Christian should be sound. So I want you to listen so that when somebody talks about the Antichrist, you don't argue with them. You say, fine, let's go to the Bible. Where was he used? Why was he? Immediately you are saying 
uh, why was he used? Where was he? He said, I don't like arguments in my life. I don't like. You see, once, once they throw that, just know that ignorance is prevailing. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not quarrel. Open your scriptures. Read it. Stay with context. Just don't be patient. In discussing this kind of subject, don't be in a hurry. Because if people miss the background, they can never get it right. If you miss your understanding of what the end time is, miss why John was writing, miss the prevailing doctrines when John was writing this. Forget it. You will just take what is more scary, you know, and begin to teach it. <laughs> Alright. So, so, those are the two definitions. In the Christian New Testament, there are only three passages that mention the Antichrist in all the letters of John. So, we're going to read them. We'll just read them now, then I'll come back and put something. I want to also deal with some, the, the man of lawlessness. I think I'll deal with the man of lawlessness and I'll deal with the false Messiah today. Then on Wednesday, we'll just pick up on the Antichrist. But let's read all the passages, okay? Let's just read all the passages. 1 John 2, 18. It said five times in three passages. 1 John 2, 18. So as we're reading now, put all the background study in your mind. Put the last day in your mind. Put the doctrines that were prevailing in John's days in your mind. Okay? So 1 John chapter 2, we're reading from verse 18 and we will stop at verse 27. 1 John 2, 18, 27. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrist, plural, have appeared. From this we know that it's the last hour. They, if I say many people have appeared, they would 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 did they be referring to the many people? You think so? Am I correct? Okay. Are you sure? You're sure. Very, 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 very sure. Yeah, very sure. Is that your final answer? Or you want to call it for Let's do 50-50. Okay. Right. okay. They went out from us. Okay. They went out from us. But they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, so it would show that they are all not of us. Who was he writing to? He was writing to the church. Church Christian community. You know, sometimes you sit and say, What are they teaching us? Just read the Bible. We're just reading Bible. Just read the Bible. Allow the Bible talk. It's intelligent. Don't close his mouth. And that's why I'm usually not impressed when you start, a preacher starts teaching and then he starts throwing, you know, God spoke to me, God told me. You don't teach Bible with God told me. Do you understand? I know you don't want to understand. You don't teach Bible like that. You teach Bible by opening scripture. 
You don't go to court and say, I feel like. You can't feel like. You go, to, you quote the constitution, you quote. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That is why every time you see Paul speaking in the Old Testament, eh, sorry, in, in the book of Acts, he uses the word persuade, reasoning. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's how the gospel is preached. But you know, charismatic are against reasoning. No, charismatic don't reason. I can just come and say, oh, around 2 a.m., 2.15, the Lord called my native name. I said, I, said, I said, God, who are you? He said, I'm God, your heavenly wiper. And, you know, we just print stickers. And you will not, want, you will not ask. Do you understand? That's how. And, and, and I'll tell you this. Don't go, don't, don't instruct Bible by saying God said. And that's why you see, if you've been in this church for me, there are a few times I say God said. It's not that God does not speak to me. You don't teach by, people by God said. You open scripture so that when that person leaves, he can open the same scripture and read. There was, ne- there was never a time where the apostles were teaching and they said, no, no, no. no. It, it was only a few times, I think it was only once Paul says, it's more blessed to give than to receive, which is something you don't find you know, in the scriptures that was just highlighted in the book of Acts. But you see them say, according to Joel. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They always infer things with scriptures. Let's go quickly. My time is going. Let's read. Okay. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? Who is the liar? Who is the liar? The one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. So it's simple. It's simple. It's simple. John himself defines the Antichrist and says one of the characteristics of the Antichrist is what? Is the denial that Jesus is the Christ. Remember that word is the Messiah. Okay, so let's go on. Verse what now? Verse 22. It says, The one who denies the Father and the Son. So, first John, or uh, 2.22 gives us the summary and the division of the Antichrist. Verse 20, 23. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. And as for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. Alright, this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. 26, these things I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Pay attention to these two words. Them, they went out from among us, and those. But what were they trying to do? Trying to do what? Deceive. Okay, now. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is the truth and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So you can understand that his, his, his release on this Antichrist was more about deception from the truth by the denial that Jesus is the Messiah. Remember, all of scriptures are written to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And we understand what they, were, what they were confronting here. They were confronting the fact that Jesus came in the flesh. They were denying that fact. All the, all the doctrines we've talked about here. They're denying that fact. Okay. So, go to 1 John chapter 4. 
verse 1 to 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Again, plural. To see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus had come in the flesh is of God. See that? See that again? That the Spirit that is of God, so He's giving us how do we test the Spirit. He says the Spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh. Now, if you, if you have not heard the doctrines that were prevailing in those days, you would just wonder why was John writing this? Why was he emphasizing about God coming in the flesh? Of course, he was writing to the church because the church already now were having that confusion about did Jesus come in the flesh? Was he incarnate? Is he the Messiah? Because you know what? The prophecy leading up to the Messianic, Messianic uh, life of Jesus had to do with him coming in the flesh. Remember the prophecy of Isaiah? What does the prophecy Isaiah say? Unto us. And his son is what? Alright. Okay, it's okay. You are, you are very intelligent. So, so, we know that that son, that child, had to come from the womb of a virgin. So, if I say that Jesus did not come in the flesh, I am denying the fact that the one I am now serving is not the Messiah. Are you? Are you following that? So that's why John had to write this way. Okay. So, verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So remember parallelism that we talked about? Comparison? This, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. So you see, in 1 John 2, he identifies it again. Here, he identifies it again. And every time he talks about the Antichrist, he does not talk about a mark. Hello? You know, people in Kenya will say hello? Huh? He doesn't talk about a mark. He doesn't even talk about buying and selling. Because for some of us, it's our supermarkets that is our concern. He doesn't talk about persecuting Christians, pulling out their teeth. You know, you know, I asked the teens, you know, I was talking to my teens, teachers, and when I said I want to teach you something, and they were like, yeah, we really like the teenagers to get in. Because they are so scared of the Antichrist. And that's why I'm very cautious of who teaches our children. Yeah, I'm very cautious of that. That's why I don't, I don't allow everybody to go teach, teach, teach even the teens. Because sometimes the children just grow up with very horrendous doctrines of scriptures, because nobody takes time to explain scriptures to them. You know, I remember my son came back from school one time and was telling me, that they were teaching something in the morning assembly. You know, of course, what they were teaching was, was, was at the back of the book. So, so I said, what did you do? Very funny reaction. He said, I just put my hands in my ear. I was just doing like this. I mean, how do, you, how do you make children scared of the Antichrist when they have Christ in them? And some of you, stop using false doctrine to threaten your children to behave right. Just tell them to do what is right because if you take me from this room, that day, Antichrist will pull your tongue. You see, that is more... You're lying. First of all, you're lying. Number two, you're spreading ignorance. And it's deadly. 
Because you know what? That concept might remain in their life all the time. That's why I don't allow my children, I'm sorry, but I don't allow my children to watch a lot of Christian films. Because a lot of Christian films are not written by theologians. And that's one you have watched. I know some of you right now, the, the challenge of this doctrine is that film they made you watch with white cloths. And you saw the Antichrist pulling people's toes and stamping people's sissies, bam, and uploading it in the beavers. <laughs> or what did they stamp you? Did they stamp you, hello, priest, 75. <laughs> you know, so, so, so that's the concept. So, so you approach God with, ah, I don't want to take the mark. I don't want. What about the mark of Christ? That Paul talks about that I bear in my body the marks of Christ. Why don't you teach people about the mark of Christ? By the way, what's the mark of the beast? Number 666. Number 6 is the number of man. 666 is the perfection of humanity. The mark of the beast is the perfection of the fallen nature. It's in your hand, it's in your head. Your reasoning, the way you think, your thought process is in your hand. Your actions, the way you work, that's the mark of the beast. People have already taken the mark of the beast and exemplifying beastly nature already in the earth. It's not something that's going to come from whatever. Some of you carry both marks. <laughs> On Monday, mark of the beast. Sunday, mark of Christ. <laughs> I'm just joking, but that's what it is. Where were we? <laughs> <laughs> you can't be studying about the Antichrist and be playing. You have to be serious. Alright, verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that is coming and now it is already in the world. So it's not futuristic. Child of God, it is in the world already. That which opposes Christ and that which takes the place of Christ is in the world already. And it's even in the church already. Are you following this? Because if we keep, and, and it's one of the deceptions of the enemy, if we keep looking to the future, we'll not look at the present. Okay? So let's read one more stuff and we'll close here. Let's we'll get up to six first. Okay, read quickly. Verse 4. You are from God, little children, and I've overcome them. Hey, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So does this scripture now make meaning to you? It's not for your exam. <laughs> Can you see now? You know, you quote this scripture, but you don't know that it's Antichrist scripture you have been quoting all your life. Greater is he that is in me. When you see knife, than he that is in the world, he was already, you, know, you know what he was saying was in the world already? What, what was in the world already? Then do you know that the first, uh, first John we read, he kept saying the anointing is within you, to teach you all truth. So he was saying that the truth you have in you is greater than the falsehood that's going to come from outside. It's not against accident. It's not for, for altars in your father's house. Okay. John did not know that your father will have an altar. You are from God, little children, and I've overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Who are the they here? The false spirit, the false antichrist, the deceivers. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth. And the spirit of error. So we know the Antichrist operates by the spirit of error. Not stamp. 
Not big, you know, tiny people in fire. Boo. Is the head roasted? No, turn the side. No. Okay. Second uh, John 7, last scripture. Whoa, Second John 7. How do you guys turn the time all the time? Second John 7. Hmm? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm praying as the Lord gives me liberty to see some of these subjects. You know, so I teach some of the subjects. Things, you know, it's like when people talk about the, book, the Lamb's Book of Life, right? Uh, you know, you have that picture because the movies you watch, especially comedies now. They now open the book. And I said, Jumoke Abimbala. Say, ah, your name is not here. It was here before and they cleaned it. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> and then you can take new naira note to heaven. I say, Angel, come. <laughs> Do you have cash? <laughs> you know, Moses says, Moses says, if you will, if you will kill these people in this place, he says, wipe my name out of the book of life. How did Moses know his name was in the book of life? Huh? Have you heard people say? That day, it will surprise us. People you think will go to heaven are the ones that will not go. Even the pastors will not go. I'm not among those pastors. (laughs) If at this stage you don't know where you are going, there's a problem. Scripture says we're citizens of heaven. There's an assurance in the Christian faith. It's not that day will surprise us. And we do that because we want to misbehave. If Ruth made it, you will make it. Okay. First, second John chapter 1 verse 7. Second John 1 7. Okay. Second John 7. Second John 7. All right. And for many deceivers, would many also mean the many spirit of Antichrist he talked about? Many deceivers. Have you observed that everything about the Antichrist is deception? What is the, what is the antidote to deception? So what should the church know to be able to overcome the Antichrist? Not fear of the Antichrist. And there's nowhere in John's writing where he talks about the power of the Antichrist over believers. In fact, in fact, let me just drop this choker. There's nowhere it talks about the Antichrist and those who did not believe. The emphasis of the Antichrist was always within the, the context of the Christian community because it's deception. You cannot deceive a man who is already in darkness. So where we should watch out for the operations of the Antichrist is not so much as after <laughs> the rapture as opposed to the deception that denies the messiahship of Jesus within the church. And I'll bring it to modern day teachings. Where our emphasis is more on self than on the finished work of Christ. Let's go. For many deceivers have gone and into the world, who were those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. All right. So that will be all for today. We'll continue on Wednesday. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you will enlighten distrust in our hearts. And you, we pray by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ that you will cause great grace to be administered. And we pray that the knowledge of God's Word will be established in our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Please, I want to plead with you. Come on Wednesday.
Alright? So we're doing this in four parts. We'll continue on Wednesday. But I've given you a bit of background. Go study the scriptures again. Go start outlining them. Go just, just, just read them again. Or if, you, if you're really interested in studying further, go read the whole book of First John and Second John. Read the whole and get the whole con- context of that. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Alright. Let's, um, let's get ready to receive our offerings. And... Um, Thank you for listening to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. We encourage you to share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng. We would like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng. Or you can call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.